This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. This year is going to be the start of the make or break on scale and ROI for a lot of the ventures that have started. And that means being very careful about what solutions you opt to take on with which partners, health systems and vendors and other investors. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duren. In this episode, we're going to look back at some of the key themes, changes, new patterns from 2022, but we'll do it from a slightly different lens. So I invited Bill Woodson and Crystal Mollis and Corey Pegg, who lead our member ventures research, and Jeff Mosier, who leads our supplier research, to all come together and discuss how some of the biggest challenges and themes and their impact on health systems are being addressed by suppliers and emerging tech. Bill, I'll let you kick it off. A few of the big themes that we've talked about over the last year, workforce has been unavoidable, inpatient capacity, site of care shifts, future of virtual care. Have you noticed patterns by provider type, regional differences in these themes that you expect maybe are going to inform how emerging tech or suppliers are trying to work with health systems on those challenges? Trevor, thanks. The variation that we used to describe as regional is even more local than it's ever been, particularly as it relates to workforce and ambulatory footprint slash capacity. One of the questions we asked throughout the year last year, what are the three things that have permanently changed for you? And we get universal answers to those. Those are acuity slash length of Day, which affects capacity of the workforce, and then how consumers are interacting with the health system. Those things do vary across the country, and we have to build that into our forecasting models as we go. It's been interesting to see as we head into this at least new calendar year that the operating rhythm has settled into an acknowledgement of, yes, our labor costs are never going back to where they were, and we have to adjust for that. Acuity is permanently high, and ambulatory shift is well underway. The pace of that is both sometimes within the control of health systems and not. But more so than ever, our members are focusing on operations to deal with compression capacity so they can actually get back to focusing on what they want to do on the ambulatory side. There's been progress on the cost world that all of our members deal with right now. And the things that have risen to the surface pretty quickly for all of them are purchase services, real estate, ancillaries, spending on pharmaceuticals, how many vendors they work with. All that's in play across the country. But there certainly is a lot of variation on the capacity constraints and how systems are willing to address them or not. How suppliers and emerging tech try to respond to workforce challenges, especially as Bill said, if this is not viewed as a one-time blip, but something that's never really going to go back to the way it was? Trevor, I'll start with that. It's great to be on your podcast. At Member Back Ventures, what we're seeing is that the digital solution companies that we work with are trying to go beyond the traditional human resource tactics, such as compensation and benefit reconfigurations, as well as career ladder changes and maybe even work hour flexibility, which we all know about. And many health systems and providers still need to focus on that. But the digital companies are really stepping it up to help healthcare executives to be a little bit more proactive in how they think about attracting a workforce. The other thing we're seeing is that really is critical for health systems to think about partnering with digital health solution companies because they are helping to set that path forward for reducing those administrative tasks. Hospitals should be thinking about what would it be like if there was a need to cut clinical and administrative resources by 50%. What would that look like and what would be necessary from the ecosystem to help us do that? What kind of partnerships would we need? 
To expand upon what Crystal said, there are quite a few organizations who are looking at that reimagined care to help digitize and automate their workflows. Unity Point backed a company called BrightMD, who is an asynchronous telehealth platform solution that really looks at doing a self-care on low-acuity patients. So BrightMD has been able to work with organizations to really address provider shortages as well as burnout. They're really able to focus on clinical decision-making and using those solutions to not only improve their provider experience, but also improve patient access and the consumer experience. The other example I thought I would share is DexCare. So DexCare was a spin out of Providence and also has investments from Kaiser as well as Mass General. DexCare and Kaiser did a unique experience where they were really looking at how do they expand the inpatient and the outpatient needs of Kaiser across eight regional settings to really look at three core tenets. DexCare really is an intelligence platform that triages patients to the right side of care based on their consumer preferences and then couples that with load demanding within the provider setting to make sure that providers are able to see those patients based on their access, their availability, as well as ensuring that those things can be toggled as different sites and acuities change and help work with those kind of change settings that allow those providers as well as consumers to be able to be put in the right place at the right time. From maybe an incumbent perspective, Trevor, from the supplier side of the equation, there's been quite a bit of activity for them. And Bill mentioned it with the purchase services. We saw in 2022 a really significant uptick in health systems analyzing across the board what things they could potentially outsource. Some of those providers had banner years people like Compass One and Morrison Food, they had a really nice year because they were able to help those health systems with managing workforce challenges in particular. I remember talking to one of our clients and they basically were as honest as saying, we just don't want the headache. We'll let somebody else deal with this headache of managing workforce because we just are knee deep in all the other things across the spectrum. That said, the ecosystem, it was challenged just as much on their side of the equation. They had the same workforce issues. They had similar issues related to price increases, demand decimation because of the health system's inability to move a lot of elective cases through their system. So the device manufacturers saw some depressed volumes. Some of them went down a path to say, well, we're going to increase price. We're going to go and we're going to ask for more money for the services we provide. Probably the more sophisticated organizations figured out a way to drive value to those health systems and help them through this struggle. J&J came up with a healthy workforce solution, just as one example, but there's a number of them that went down that path. And maybe the workforce challenges were exacerbated by the supply chain issues that just permeated through the industry the last few years. And I was at a conference over the summer and this struck me. One of the health system executives said to the supplier audience, you need to be transparent with us. And if you have a supply shortage, if you have an outage, if you work with us, even if it's to the point where you're recommending a competitor that has a similar product, 
if you do that for me, I will see you as a partner long term and we'll weather this storm together. And in 2023 and 2024, you'll get even more of my business because you did the right thing as a true partner. The incumbents, at least, struggled a lot in 2022. They struggled a lot in terms of coming up with creative workforce solutions for the health systems. But there was a lot of lessons learned. I think they'll come out on the side of 2023 and 2024 much better position if they did things more creatively than just say, we're going to pass our price increase on to you. Corey had an important point here, and I heard this echoed by a group of COOs we were with earlier this year in Utah, and I believe it was the COO at the time of Intermountain, who's actually now the CEO, Rob Allen. And he said, we've used this terminology before, even when we went through our EMR implementation all those years ago. But now what really is on the table is reimagining care and in particular clinical decision making. Corey drew a great distinction between the logistics side and how much improvement we can make there and then the absolute necessity to free up our clinicians for the clinical decision making we need them to do. The health systems, along with their partner organizations, vendors, digital, whatever, that figure that out and connect and can connect it to the consumer journey have the solution. And no one's there yet. I think there are niche solutions, progress along the way, great numbers going down in terms of contract labor expense, but boy, we've got a long way to go. Inpatient capacity constraints are another area where I heard really different stories in the past year from health systems, some of which are just starting to struggle because of COVID, flu, and RSV. Others were full, mostly AMCs or large community hospitals already over the summer. And some are just looking at our forecast and trying to plan for the expectation that length of stay and acuity, if this is not a one-time blip, they're going to stay high. How are suppliers in emerging tech helping with that in the short term and thinking differently about how they're going to have to work with hospitals longer term too? It's such a wonderful opportunity for some of these suppliers that work in this space. If they are in the hospital setting, if they're in the pre-acute setting or even post-acute, if they have a product or service that can help that health system or that community, frankly, manage chronic illness, then there are a lot of people that are listening right now because every one of these hospitals across the U.S. is hitting constraints around demand and they're managing these patients that are low margin patients that they might rather treat in a different setting. You get these diabetes management companies that are actively engaging with the health systems now more than ever. They're standing up new sales forces. They're retraining their sales force in a lot of ways to speak a different language, to not be transactional, but to be more of that value-oriented partner that can look at chronic condition management and help with avoidable admissions and help with 30-day readmissions. And honestly, there's a whole nother set of suppliers that are looking at efficiency and they're positioning their services and products in a way that align to the length of stay challenges of the organization that they're trying to cater to and to sell into. In 2022, we saw a number of them doing it right, where they were partnering with these health systems to, A, engage patients in a different way and with electronic, with digital platforms to help patients stay engaged, or B, look at efficiency solutions to manage handoffs, to manage transitions of care, and to manage length of stay, to manage patient educations. They were standing up more services around that to enable these health systems to manage their margins, maybe in a little bit different fashion. 
I agree with you, Jeff. I think there are other levers that health systems can pull to help manage the demand because there's a demand side and there's also this supply side. And we have a supply challenge as it relates to the workforce, which we've been talking about. What are the emerging tech companies doing to help with those levers that might reduce the inpatient utilization or the inpatient demand? What Crystal is saying is so important and organizations are using their information that they have as their biggest asset. They realize that if they can take this data and analytics and then try to identify the patient populations that are in the most need, food as medicine is a great example where we have seen organizations across the country, such as Advocate Aurora, Memorial Hermann, Kaiser, who have done great investment to these type of solutions that are really concentrated at making sure that they think think of their patient care in this very holistic way. We hear of companies such as Memora Health who have seen that if they personalize a message to a patient, the way that they attract and retain that patient is far greater than if they use the traditional means of talking to that patient. If you have an expectant mother or a mother who just actually had a baby go home and you call and check on her through a personalized message 48 hours after she's delivered to go, hey, I'm curious how you and baby girl are doing, they're much more likely to engage with you, they feel like they have someone on their side and that they're able to actually interact in a different and more meaningful way. To put these pieces together, if you watch the announcements that have gotten the headlines out of the Consumer Electronics Show and even the J.P. Morgan Conference this week, watch where the money's going. And invariably, just not the core inpatient enterprise, but the funds still seem to be targeted at great opportunities in home health behavioral that obviously is going through some scale and growing pains through some of the companies we've been following. As several of you mentioned, the chronic condition management, all those relief capacity issues that get to the heart of what core interest Crystal mentioned, which is personalizing the patient journey, keeping them out of the hospital, avoiding readmissions and freeing up that capacity. It's also worth noting in the context of all this, we talk about disparities in equity. So now the CMS is going to start asking our members in the industry to start at least reporting some of the metrics around this. And that will continue over the next few years. It will be linked to some of the advanced payment models. That's just going to be part of our world. And if you look at the increased enrollment numbers from some of the health plans that have reported, not only is it Medicare Advantage, but it's also the dual eligible marketplace that looks attractive. And of course, they need very complex solutions for social needs, for food, for housing, et cetera. Yeah, all good examples. Similarly, site of care shifts have been pretty different across markets with the average increasingly moving up, but there's still plenty of markets that there's still a big range of where markets are landing on site of care shifts. Based on where those markets are, is that changing how suppliers or emerging tech are trying to engage with providers in those markets? Yes, Trevor. Digital and emerging tech is really unlocking new sites of care, such as care in the home. That results in considerable implications for care teams and all of the logistics and infrastructure that have to go into that. We're already seeing AI to be down the path of being transformational in this space where sites of care are going to be shifting and continue to shift. What's so interesting is how different healthcare organizations are really stepping into different types of care models to care at home that really change the operational burden. And starting from the beginning of just care coordination, care management to full-fledged care at home models. So we saw some pretty big headlines over 2022 that talk about organizations who've invested at care at home. We saw Kaiser and Mayo step into a unique relationship with medical 
physically home and they invested $150 million. We saw this, what I would consider a unicorn with Dispatch Health who received $276 million last year. And then even what I would consider smaller investments, but coming out of organizations like Alina Healthcare, who actually partnered with Flare Capital, different models within this BC model to bring out an organization called Inbound Health that really focuses on skilled nursing and hospital care at home. Organizations are seeing the shift of care at home, but they are all looking at different ways, different models that you look at that encompass from the early stage of are we doing emergent care at home to full-fledged care at home for high acuity patients. It's just a unique opportunity. And we're seeing healthcare systems do different partnerships than we may have seen in the last four or five years. This site of care shift is probably the number one question that we've received over 2022 from our supplier members. It's a complicated one for them in particular because you think about the landscape here, and again, I'll focus on the ASC shift in particular. That's the volume shifts for, let's say, orthopedics from the inpatient setting into that ASC or from the hospital outpatient department into the ASC. A lot of these device manufacturers have had to reconsider how they go to market. What do their field teams look like? Who are the stakeholders that are engaged? How is that going to impact the way they influence decisions, especially as the health system start to actively move into this space. I would guess that there isn't very many IDNs out there that aren't moving into this space, where if they didn't have an ASC, they're actively pursuing a strategy around how should they enter into this space, where it was owned by a physician group. What's the market look like now? Is it going to be competitive? Is it going to be collaborative? And how disruptive is that for the suppliers? The more sophisticated suppliers that we work with have built ASC strategies. They're hiring different skill sets for their workforce to engage in those conversations and to get in the door with the right person, be it with the IDN that's just consolidated with the other health system regionally, and they've changed their procurement process. They've consolidated that. They've regionalized their purchasing structures. So the adoption of different products has moved out of that individual physician's hands, in some cases, into a corporate entity that's owned by the IDN, where that's aggressively happening. And on the slower markets, it's still the wild, wild west where you've got to go individually meet with each physician and sell your products. This is a pretty complicated area for 2022. I wouldn't expect it to slow down in 2023 for how they build out their strategies. A lot of activity here. Jeff, I agree. This is the number one strategic issue with the most consequence for our larger member systems. And they're trying to decide the pace of change that they want to participate in relative to their market, their physician organizations, independent physicians, to what extent they have control over the shift from hospital outpatient to ambulatory surgery centers. And it involves a lot of education, financial modeling. The CFO ultimately kind of making the call a little bit saying, do we do it now or do we do it later? What does cannibalization of our business potentially mean? Or is there opportunity because of the growth potential in the site of care shift world? Just a reminder, the procedure world is still the lifeblood of health systems across the country. And big picture, 80% of surgical procedures are already outpatient. 
Then we get into very specific service lines, clinical areas. By the way, we just came out with a new report on this shift and we break it down by different sites of care, different types of procedures, what's moving quickly, what's not. And then we're localizing that into our forecast. This is a meaningful discussion across every part of the health system. And then there gets into, do you have the operational model, the capacity, the staffing to embrace that shift if you make that decision? And that's been lacking as well right now. We'd like to open these centers. We have the capital to do it, but we're not sure we can staff. So Jeff, I put this at the top of my list for 2023. I expect it to come up in every meeting that I attend. Just think about the operational efficiency needed in the ASC for that throughput and compare that to the clunky nature of an inpatient OR. Maybe that's not fair, but the members I talk to, their on-time starts are not that great. Their room turnover stats are not that great, but the ASC knows how to do it. You know, Historically, they've known how to do this because the physicians want that throughput to happen. They're incentivized for it to happen. And so to put that clunky inpatient model into the ASC will not work. So they're going to have to figure out a way to change operational throughput to be successful here too. All right, I'm going to ask you all to zero in on that site of care shift, and that's the shift of care to virtual. And I bet many of our listeners are pretty familiar with the up and down story of virtual care in the last couple of years, but it may have left the future of virtual care as uncertain as it was pre-pandemic. Jeff, is there any supplier shift to try and accommodate more virtual care or virtual patient engagement? How are suppliers thinking about virtual? They know they have to, is the short answer. You've got organizations like Penumbra that hired gaming architects to build out a virtual rehab system. And this is really neat stuff. And I think it'll take hold and people will want this. So the suppliers are building it out. They all have digital strategies and they're executing on them. In addition to that, there is just the logistics around this. If you aren't the Penumbra that can build out a virtual patient engagement tool for delivering care, you are delivering a device or a medication or just a product. All this virtual care exacerbates that site of care shift, Trevor. Now I've got to figure out as a supplier, how do I get the right products to the right setting? When the settings are getting really fluid, that's going to be a challenge for me in 2023 as this starts to catch some more momentum in terms of the adoption here. You've got other players, and Crystal mentioned it, the the dispatch healths of the world that are starting to own a lot of this virtual interface and connectivity with patients and then heading to the home to deliver that care, how do they get those supplies? Who's connected with whom on managing that supply chain because it's going to diffuse across the community? Suppliers are reacting to that now, or they have been for the last 12 months. They'll continue to react to that. And in concert, they'll be building out their digital interfaces with patient engagement, with patient activation, with patient management tools. I agree with Jeff. It is here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Virtual care is the way of the future. We're going forward with that. I saw a headline the other day where it stated more than 30 health systems have invested $2.5 billion in remote patient monitoring and home health, alongside an additional $1 billion that they have invested to support digital capabilities. It's not going away because other players in the ecosystem are interested in getting in the game and already are getting in the game. And health systems are going to need to decide whether they want to compete or collaborate with these emerging entrants. 
as we think of healthcare systems, we know it's going to take time to build a full virtual care solution. We know that they're having to look at unique ways that they're doing that. So is it looking at how do they take those capabilities and do things together? What's unique that we've seen more healthcare providers who have actually invested together into solutions that can expand some of their virtual health capabilities. We're seeing what I would consider organizations that will step into an example together. For example, like Rush, Northwell, Intermountain stepped into Transparent to look at how do they expand their virtual health capabilities. You have other organizations like Edward Elmhurst, OSF, Gunderson, who stepped into digital diagnostics to see how they expand those capabilities. What we have seen just a little bit different is healthcare systems are doing things together. This year is going to be the start of the make or break on scale and ROI for a lot of the ventures that have started. And that means being very careful about what solutions you opt to take on with which partners, health systems and vendors and other investors. It's worth noting that digital spending came back down, digital investment came back down to earth a little bit last year, but it's still remarkably hot. There's still a lot of funds coming into it and there's clearly going to be a shakeout and mergers and we're going to learn as we go. And these are companies set up to do that intentionally. I was with a private equity firm last year and they brought in leaders from all over healthcare to talk about areas where they should be investing their dollars. And they put digital fairly far down the list just because it's not mature yet. They're not seeing the ROI potential that they need for a, a private equity view of the world. Not to say that there isn't tremendous growth opportunity success out there, but the health system view of this with their appetite for risk or the ROI they need on operations or patient acquisition or chronic conditions, whatever, has to be measured, I think, a little more thoughtfully. We have a piece that just came out on this that's on our website now. So we look forward for you guys taking a look at that. Corey, Crystal, Jeff, and Bill, thanks for putting a bow on it. Great thoughts. This is exactly what I was hoping for. And I leave the conversation pretty optimistic that there's some really thoughtful vendors, suppliers, and partners out there really willing to work with health systems on some of their biggest, toughest challenges. So thanks so much for sharing your perspective as always, and look forward to having you back on SG2 Perspectives again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.